0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com Hello, it's us again. There's me, Chris Dow, and connecting remotely through the power of the internet, Minty Booth. Ah, uh, it's as he says. <laughs> It is the second of our December mini-series where we have temporarily shelved our top 100 lists, taken the reins from baby-cradling Jonathan Dunn, and are here to talk nonsense about video games.
1: Announcement! Announcement!
0: I will now list, without emotion, locations where you can find our content outside of this audio extravaganza. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Pop R3Cents podcast in the search boxes of any of those social media hubs, and you'll likely find our pixelated faces. For those who have savoured every morsel of free weekly content and are still patting their tums hungry for more, we do also have a Patreon. Bonus episodes, deleted scenes, exclusive Discord access, and a host of other potential treats await those who are able to drop a few coins our way. We love making this show, but are also genuinely humbled each and every day by the generosity of those who have pledged to support our development even further. Patreon.com slash r3cents is the place to go. This week, we're travelling back in time to the console wars of the 90s. It's Sega versus Nintendo at the respective Dow and Booth households, and we're aiming to make peace by pushing one another to explore titles on the consoles that we didn't have. But before that, what have we been playing? Minty Minty Mo Minty, Banana Fana Fofinty, how's your gaming week been? <laughs> well,
1: <Wow. laughs> um... Things I've been playing this week have been few and far between, um, for reasons that we will come on to in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't had much chance to crack on with Age of Calamity, but I have cracked on with it. I think last week I said I was about as far as the story took you in Breath of the Wild, so now I'm just in uncharted territory, and it's... Yeah, I'm not quite far enough in that section of the narrative to really have an opinion on it just yet as a as a as a story. Yeah. Things have happened <laughs> and it's cool so far. Like it's been a strange development of the story and yeah, it hasn't come full circle for me just yet. But that that's just because I'm mopping up side missions and you know giving people enormous radishes <laughs> and um, dousing them in honey to teach me how to do an extra swing at the end of a combo, that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> it's an interesting barter system, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. But no, oh, it's still really good fun. Yeah, how have you been getting on with it?
0: I love it. I really love it. And um, I mean, after our last episode, I, I picked it up the next day on the way home from work. I've probably played seven or eight hours this week. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, you know, like you said last week, not only a, a worthy expansion of the core cool gameplay of, of Hyrule Warriors, but... Also, like, every bit of the Breath of the Wild prequel in, in kind of feel and, and style. And I, I think it's really worth saying how well Koei Tecmo, presumably under Nintendo's guidance, have, have pulled that off. Yeah. Because so much of, of what made Breath of the Wild feel uniquely Breath of the Wildy <laughs> is here. So, I mean, you've got the, the powers like magnesis and stasis and, and whatever else all rearranged to fit effortlessly into the fast-paced combat. You've got a really creative use of of the towers and the sweeping map from Breath of the Wild to manage your side quests and and resource management and and general records and everything else. The story, I'm not as far as you, so at least at this stage, uses the canvas of of the Breath of the Wild flashbacks really well, but expands the lore to these wild-scale battles in a way that never feels superfluous. Mm -hmm. It, It fits just like, that's what happened, and now I'm playing it. Yeah. And the art style as well. It's so nice and it just elevates the entire package far beyond the vanilla Hyrule Warriors for me. Like having that softer, more painterly style of Breath of the Wild. It's got like a wistful sort of filmic quality to it. Yeah. And I really, really like the look of Breath of the Wild and I think it translates incredibly well to a game that is a completely different genre here. My only quibbles like so far for the time I've played, one of them is very specific to me. And that is that... I can't find a way to invert the y-axis but leave the gyro controls uninverted which is an odd kind of combination but for anyone struggling to understand what I mean there like my preferred control scheme on Breath of the Wild is to use the right stick for camera movement but for me I always invert it so up is down and down is up but the gyro controls I'd like to be uninverted so up is up and down is down (laughs) so it's kind of like a split control scheme and that feels natural to me but here, if you invert the controls, it inverts your gyro controls as well. Mm. And I guess I'm, I'm probably an outlier, which is why this isn't an option. But it has been frustrating like when I try and tweak my aim using Link's bow or, or trying to throw bombs. I always just launch them at my feet at first <laughs> and then have to like yank the controller up to, to bring it back in, in level with what I'm actually aiming for. The other thing, which I really hate bringing up, but it is a more general thing, is that this game launching now alongside brand new next-gen consoles that will run games at 4K and, in some cases, 120 frames a second, the performance metrics in Age of Calamity are not very good. <laughs> and and to counter that, it's like you have to kind of suck it up and say, if you want to play the game, this is where you play it. Mm. There's nowhere, nowhere else to play it. We're getting to the stage of the Switch's life now where it's a really good argument for the Switch Pro, you know, the fabled upgrade yeah. they've talked about for the last couple of years. Because I think in the same way, the new 3DS gave a much better experience for just regular 3DS games. You know, a shinier Switch would just do that job. And and just to have a game like this be a little bit smoother mm. is all it would take to make it feel timeless again. But overall, you know, I, I can't wait to play more of it. I really, really love it. It feels more focused than Hyrule Warriors did because it does have kind of, a more purposeful story, I guess. Whereas Hyrule Warriors did a very good job, like mashing together fifteen different timelines, but it still could be enjoyed just here and there and everywhere. It really didn't yes. matter if you played it chronologically or not. I I don't know if Hyrule Warriors has you know the ability to carry on alongside Zelda games in the future. I don't know if this will be the last one we see for a while, or if you know in a few years' time when when the Zelda franchise has moved into something mm. else, Hyrule Warriors is still considered a pillar that can go alongside it. But I, I really hope it carries on. I, th- I think it's such a nice counterpoint to, you know, I, I suppose Zelda being a slightly more cerebral type game uh, that involves a bit more thought and a bit more considered pace, whereas Horror Warriors is much quicker. But yeah, either way, it's a really good companion piece to the original game uh, and maybe to Breath of the Wild too as well, whenever that actually drops. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Now, we did receive a bit of anonymous feedback that Jonotron, our robotic stand-in for, for Jonathan, was perhaps a little bit too scary for our younger listeners. So to keep this show PG-13, uh, we've upgraded Jonotron's firmware to make him seem a little bit more approachable. <laughs> Could you take it away, please? Revised Jonotron Dunn.
2: I've just finished my second full playthrough of Dark Souls Remastered. Still an absolute masterpiece. I strangely found it quite comforting in amongst all of the baby admin going on. I played it in offline mode on the Switch so I could pick it up and play it in little bites rather than having to settle in for some big sessions and it was just brilliant to be able to grab 5 minutes here and there to have another bit of a bash at whatever disaster was next. It's such an addictive game and it was an absolute joy to play through it in its entirety again. During my playthrough I used Uncharted to break up Dark Souls again when that got too intense. And it was a lovely counterpoint to that even though I was really enjoying playing through Dark Souls again. But Uncharted is a rollicking affair, really good fun. I did start playing the original Uncharted in the Nathan Drake collection, but it felt really dated and was far too action-heavy for my liking. I wanted to do more exploring and climbing which you do do a lot more of an Uncharted 4. And the action is a lot more refined as well. It's interesting playing Uncharted now after having played The Last of Us, because there are a lot of similarities, There's a lot of quick-time moments where you're hammering a button to jimmy open a lock or something and lots of other little, interactive moments that really aren't necessary to control, and there's also a lot of pretty lengthy narrative cutscenes and stuff. But the crucial difference is that the gameplay in between these moments is really fun. You have good control of your character, you feel a real freedom that you don't have in The Last of Us. It feels great to move around and jump and swing and climb, and I think it's a real shame that these gameplay elements didn't transfer over into The Last of Us.
0: Thanks very much, Jonatron. We'll we'll hear from you next week. I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Probably a bit more than the real thing. No,
1: that's mean. I don't
0: mean that. (laughs) Only time will tell. Tune in next week to find out. So, the 90s, eh?
1: Mm. Can't live with them. Can't live without them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can't live without living through them. (laughs) Now, I, I know I'm a few years older than you, Minty, but I also know from the games that you've discussed on this show to date that your gaming childhood was defined by the NES and the SNES just mm. as mine was defined by the Master System and the Mega Drive and it honestly felt when i was a, a young kid with these consoles at that age that every household seemed to one own a games console but two at least in the houses i visited families seemed to have like bet the farm on one console manufacturer or the other like i, I can't remember going to many people's houses that had a Nintendo console and a Sega console. Now, in the US, I know that Nintendo kind of reigned supreme because of their stranglehold of the market with with the NES. But in Europe, and bizarrely South America, Sega dominated for years. And when I received my hand-me-down master system from my cousin one Christmas, I also started reading Sega-focused gaming magazines like Sega Power. And I have quite vivid memories of entire pages of this magazine being taken up with Fan art that was drawn at the expense of Nintendo owners mm. or Nintendo IP. So that there's one page in particular that I remember being in this magazine I had when I was like five or six years old that had fan art of Sonic murdering Mario with oh. like a rifle. Alex Kidd putting Mario's head on a pike. <laughs> like truly mad stuff to be exposed at when you are essentially in single figures. Yeah, yeah. But I think that fed into me having quite like a tribal love of Sega when I was a kid. Mm. Years on when i had my sega saturn and then saw that it was being discontinued because it was being just pummeled absolutely decimated by the the playstation 1 and to a lesser extent the n64 i felt genuinely heartbroken as a kid yeah yeah it, in the same way i've i've watched arsenal football club a team that i've supported for many years now Um, You know, they won and won and won when I was a kid. And the last decade, they've just fallen away into almost obscurity every consecutive season. And Sega sort of withering into relative insignificance was just as upsetting when I was a kid. As an adult, obviously, I can be much more level-headed. Of course, you know, I've I've loved filling out my gaming knowledge as I've grown up uh, for consoles I didn't own. But Nintendo's 8 and 16-bit consoles are still two of the machines and libraries that I, I feel like I've got the least exposure to. Mm. Now, when you were young, do you remember upholding the good name of Nintendo? <laughs> were you like fighting on the front lines like I felt I was?
1: Well, I, I don't know about fighting the good fight, but I, it's interesting you mentioned publications proliferating that, that, that console war mindset, because I, I used to read loads of different Nintendo magazines when I was a kid. Uh, In particular, Nintendo Official Magazine and N64 Magazine at that time. Yeah. And the Official Magazine in particular was... It it was weird. In one sense, it was very sort of family-friendly, very easy to read for children, very sort of, you know, PG-PG stuff. But even though it had just sort of very, very gentle uh, language about it, it was still it still had that quite tribal mindset that you mentioned uh, it, mm. it was it was around the time the the dreamcast was was out and they would constantly refer to it as the dream pants <laughs> perfect pun the playstation and the ps2 with a gray station and the gray station poo oh. you couldn't move for it it was wild and, and and to me an impressionable young fella who was just sort of reading this looking at all the fun games that were coming out and seeing this mentioned on the same pages. I said, like, oh, okay, well, you know, if this is what they're saying in this quality piece of journalism, obviously <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> this has been a really nice week because when I was a kid, uh, I had, we were in the Nintendo house, but I had a, a, a quote-unquote friend, uh, if you like. It was one of those kids who just couldn't take losing or not being the best at something. And I was round his house one day and we were playing Altered Beast, you know, we, we just have having a great time, you know, powering up, <laughs> eating meat to turn into a like a fucking horse or, or whatever it was. Like we, we were getting one more level in before um, I had to go downstairs because my mum was there to pick me up uh, and he died. He died in this uh, co-op game we were playing and I got right to the end and... Just as I got to the end, he just turned the console off and was like, you've got to go home, your mum's downstairs. (laughs) And to be honest, that's kind of, by association, that soured my uh, opinion of Sega, their games and their consoles ever since. I mean, fair play. I mean, through no fault of their own, it was was just this horrible child that I knew. (laughs) But... I've I've had three chances to uh, have my opinion swayed. And I'm excited to talk about them today.
0: Lovely. I mean, I I think it's it's almost apt to do this now because looking online, I, I've seen a sort of vitriol between people who have bought the new Xbox and the new PlayStation that feels greater than the last few generations certainly. Mm. And I don't know if it's because these consoles are very expensive and and in high demand, so it's people kind of justifying their purchases. But it, it spills over like to teaching kids at school that you'll hear them them talk and, and say to each other like, Oh, have you got a PlayStation? And then if the kid says yeah, that, that's like cause for abuse because yeah. they're from an Xbox house. Yeah. And and it's so weird because as I'm sure we'll come on to in a bit, back when we we're talking about the Mega Drive and the SNES, these were tangibly different machines. Mm. And the experiences you'd you'd have on one or the other were quite, quite separate. And yet Nowadays, if you pick up an Xbox or a PlayStation, you are playing the same games. You know, 99% of the library is the same. And the differences between a version on, on one machine or the other is is almost completely arbitrary. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just very strange. It's very, very odd. But yeah, old machines, retro stuff as it is now. There's some real gold when you go digging. Mm. Now, as you have mentioned, we both picked three titles from our kind of respective machines, uh, the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo, to help one another sample some of what we felt the other missed as kids. Now first up, Minty, how did you enjoy tasting my 13th favourite
1: game of all time, Streets of Rage 2? I have to say, the side-scrolling fighting game? I think it's my least favorite genre. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> After I said a couple of weeks ago, it was like God's here.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, and it's 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 my fault more than anything else because I'm just I'm just really bad at them. Yeah, I can't get I can't get my head around the fact that you move at one speed horizontally and vertically at a, a different speed. Yeah, and uh, that's because TVs are wider than they are tall, so moving quickly left and right, and they're moving slowly up and down, I, that throws me off immediately. And I've always had it in my head that even if you were like a, a couple of millimetres uh, off the off the Y-axis of an enemy, you just completely miss them. Yeah, you, you
0: just skip it, don't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the odds are stacked against the game and the system it's on, based on my childhood. But it was really great fun. I really loved it. Like The thing for me that that encapsulates my... Uh, be a very limited um, experience with this game is just the atmosphere. It's it's so slick. It's so cool. It's like um, I feel like there's a heavy um, there's a heavy influence from like, the first half hour of uh, Akira. Oh yeah, like it's got yeah. that really sort of that really seedy like futuristic noir type setting. It's oh just just the music in it. Some of the weather effects. Just this really really grotty atmosphere that made it just so. It was just really, really cool. It was just 90s action, um, and it was, it was just really great fun. Really enjoyed it. Good. Hmm.
0: Even if it's a genre that, obviously, you're not going to suddenly you know, stake a lot of your gaming time on. Hmm. I, I think it is, like you say, it is a cool game, and, and I think it's, it's fun to be inside of that cool game, Yeah. <laughs> even yeah. if it's just, just temporarily. Now, going from, from one street to another... Your first suggestion to me was the Super Nintendo version of Street Racer. It was indeed. Which was your 69th favourite video game of all time, according to our list. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I do have a decent history with the Mega Drive version of this game. Mm-hmm. But I was not aware just how different <laughs> the two versions are. Right, And this, this goes back again to this idea of a kid now playing a game on an Xbox or a PlayStation. It is... Essentially interchangeable, aside from performance dips here and there, maybe. But I don't think I could have been prepared for just how different Snes Street Racer is to the Mega Drive version, because the the Mega Drive version essentially just cheats its three D effect. So you've got the car as like a sprite in the middle of the screen that's essentially static, and you turn and skew on command, and the animation kind of follows you, whilst the track behind you is in essence just a flat animation that will just either go straight left or right. There's there's no like dynamism to that. It's just I don't know. It's it's a real just cheap trick essentially that makes you feel like you're going forwards. Mm. But the, the SNES version is like a night and day improvement. Yeah, because yeah. it's got the the proper mode seven scaling that, like Mario Kart, it means that tracks feel much more naturalistic. Like there's there's limitations. It doesn't have kind of hills that go up and down and things like that. But it does feel really good to play, and you feel like you are connected to the track an awful lot more than you do in one where you kind of even if you're suspending your disbelief you know you are just skidding along thin air yeah yeah the characters are the same as the Mega Drive but here they've got more animation you know it just feels like there's more love to them although I have to profess I I prefer the Mega Drive soundtrack because I've mentioned quite a few times on this show I've got a real soft spot for the kind of harsh metallic synth of of Sega's chip over the, the sample based stuff on the SNES but outside of that this wins hands down in, in every category you, you could rank it in. You know, it's it's a kart racer. So if you've played a kart racer, you know what you get into. And although you did sell it to me as the better Snares Mario Kart, mm-hmm. I still prefer Mario Kart for, for me because maybe that makes me a heathen. But I think there's something very pure about that game. And Street Racer, for kind of adding the bits and pieces it does and the bells and whistles to make it a more dynamic experience... The control you have in Mario Kart is it's a very definite thing. Mm. And, and the purity in that game I still really enjoy now. So I think Street Racer is really good, but Mario Kart is just a bit cleaner. Like The, the weapons are a little bit better balanced. Tracks are, are slightly nicer in their design in terms of just feeling, I don't know, a bit slightly more logical, I, I guess you could say. Okay, yeah, yeah. But overall like i said I, I can happily admit that this game is leagues ahead of the mega drive counterpart and i'm, I'm really shocked that i never knew that hmm. <laughs> you know i was kind of aware they were slightly different but i always pride myself in having a reasonably wide kind of net of knowledge of this stuff and and i just didn't know i just didn't know and uh, i've been missing out on the superior street racer experience for
1: for my entire life yeah gosh i wonder what that is i mean I guess it is because of the different specifications and the the strengths of each console. I think so. I mean, because the SNES had the ability to do that kind of sprite
0: scaling for the Mode 7 stuff. I know lots of teams kind of latched onto that. So even from launch, you had like F-Zero and and things like that that really make the most of that capability Mm. that the Mega Drive just didn't have in it. But it just... It feels so barren as well. Like I, I played the SNES one a couple of evenings ago, did like a couple or two, and then just went back and did a race or so on the Mega Drive version just to kind of compare. Yeah. And yeah, it feels really empty. It's almost like the jump from 8 to 16-bit hardware. Like you've popped in a, a Master System game and then you jump into the Mega Drive. It's like a, a big step up. Mm. So yeah, it's just, it's totally different. Totally different. Now, for me, one of the Mega Drive's real strengths was it had a lot of fast-paced action platformers, and I suggested to kind of sample that, that you should give Rocket Knight Adventures a go. Yes. What did you think of that one?
1: Mm. So, I'm getting a lot of my dirty laundry out this episode, it seems, (laughs) because my knowledge of Sega platformers starts and ends with Sonic, Yeah. which I have been terrified to play, just because they seem so expansive, they seem so... They just seem really overwhelming. Like at least with uh, with Mario games, you're just oh he go right and then he win, <laughs> like that that's it. But whenever I see people playing uh, Sega games, it's so fast. Like you're going through a loop, de loop. You're collecting rings. You'll you'll hit like a, a big red thing and it will launch you up into the air. It's, it's terrifying. If I'm being honest, it's it's terrifying. <laughs> so it was nice to enjoy this game, which I think sort of takes that energy. But for me, it just dials it back a little, Yeah, which is nice.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: Something else that, that I, I really like about this game is I, I really like a quirky protagonist. <laughs> it's nice just to have a character that's not not just, not just a bloke. <laughs> I really Isn't it terrible that that's a selling point that, that the main character isn't human, which is why I enjoyed it.: Not just a bloke. I really appreciated just how nice the character was to look at. It wasn't just up oh, two frames; he's running. There was so much life in him, like whether he's uh, hanging off by his tail on some rope or like smacking things on the old mine carts. It felt like the the people who were designing him had a real had a real blast doing it. Like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if, as he was falling, he looked scared instead of like, oh, Mario is just going down now. So. <laughs> Again, it's so slick and uh, it controls really well and it's got a really nice balance of abilities. For the simplicity that Mario games have, they, they're missing out on quite a bit of charm and soul, I guess. Mm. Like, I've just been blown away by just how, how nice everything is to look at and just how much I enjoy not only playing things, but just looking at them as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's been my main takeaway from, uh, from this game in particular.
0: I I think games like Rocket Knight and I mean a lot of games from just this era. It was a real golden age for for pixel art and design. Mm. And and as much as like the the indie boom of like a decade ago means that every aesthetic style is now represented in a game somewhere. I don't think you have the same like focused vision that some of these games had back then because everyone was working with the same palette but getting very different results. And nowadays there are just an infinite number of pallets. So it doesn't feel like individual teams are really like pushing what can be done with that kind of set of limited resources in quite the same way. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no ceiling anymore. Yeah. You know, it's just totally different. And I think that really fed into how aesthetics were built for games and, and how characters were designed. But yeah, Rocket Knight is a, is a nice game to look at. Yeah, I, I yeah. fully agree, wholeheartedly agree.
1: And it reinforces my thinking that 3D came too early. Yeah. Going from this incredibly uh, succulent uh, breadth <laughs> of character <laughs> animations to just having a 3D model locked in one pose as they fall down. And the only indication you get that there's any emotion is just them going, ah!
0: <laughs> it does. It has so much more character than, than early 3D titles for those machines. Now, next up, uh, you gave me the unenviable task of making a start on Chrono Trigger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a
0: nice, short, brisk title. <laughs> your, your 58th favourite game. Now, although having read up, it is accepted that it is quite a fast-paced RPG in in terms of length, compared to some others of the era like Final Fantasy VI, for instance. Yeah, yeah. My thoughts are still obviously only going to be based on the first two like and a half hours of the game. Yeah. But what I've played through so far has been absolutely great. I didn't play RPGs on the Mega Drive at all when I was a kid. I know it had games like Shining Force, a sort of tactical RPG. I know it had fantasy star, a sci-fi RPG epic, but the genre just almost entirely passed me by. I did own a game called The Fairy Tale Adventure for a while, which was a port of like an old personal computer title by the same name. But it felt so open-ended to me that I would usually start a game, leave the starting town, get killed, and then just turn it off and play something else. It's like I wasn't willing to persevere and kind of work out what was in that title. But Chrono Trigger is a proper console RPG. So it's gorgeous to look at Mm. for the time. Like, it still looks great now. You know, we talked about aesthetics of of Rocket Knight, but Chrono Trigger looks good. (laughs) Like, really, really good. It's got sumptuous music, a really good score. It's got a compelling sort of back-to-the-future-style time travel plot that within the first hour has you warped back in time in pursuit of another character who has been sent back to the world as it was hundreds of years prior and has been confused with one of her ancestors. The combat is really slick, like I, I played a little bit of the semi-recent title I Am Set Sooner on the Switch when it first launched, mm-hmm. and I can tell now looking at that, it robs Chrono Trigger's active battle system just wholesale. Mm. <laughs> like it, it's not it, totally stolen, unabashed in, in how much it's willing to just rip it off. But I really like seeing it here in in proper like context of where it originated. That you've got enemies leaping out and confronting you on the same map that you're exploring, and then it you know, it twists at that point to be this kind of semi-turn-based thing. It's got none of the, the side-on party stuff of the early Final Fantasy games. It's got none of the first-person battles of, of fantasy star and things like that. You're just controlling the same character represented by the same sprite right there, right then, ready to go. Mm. And it's it's really, really refreshing and makes everything feel pacey even when the combat is still menu-driven. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. The other thing I really loved is that the writing is, is really human. And, you know, the game starts at the Millennial Fair, a celebratory event marking the thousandth anniversary of the founding town in, in this place called Guardia. And it's stuffed with little minigames to complete. It's got interesting conversation lines with NPCs, some of which don't really need to go anywhere. They're just there for flavor. And that point, the game makes you wait like a certain period of time before allowing you to progress the story. And... I thought I'd be annoyed by that but I just enjoyed being forced to explore and just have a chat with people. Hmm. It's, it's just a nice place to be. It's just a lovely little world to be in. I cheated a little bit with this entry, like playing this game, because I've been playing the, the slightly refined DS version. Yeah, But the benefit here is that I can keep my 3DS by my bed and just keep chipping away little chunks here and there because I'm I'm really keen to play more of this. and. At the moment, I think I'm fighting through a, a cathedral in 600 AD, searching for a missing queen. My party is rounded out by my inventor friend and a froggy knight. Yeah. Oh, we love the frog. <laughs> it's all just good and nice. Like mm. I, I'm really blown away because they're games that I understand now because I've played RPGs and I know what the genre is and I've I've seen more modern versions of this stuff, but that it was being released at the same time as the games I've suggested you play and that I was playing at the time Mm. just recontextualizes them in a a very different way because for the experience that I had at home, like grinding away at Streets of Rage 2 again and again, you were at home playing this and that's a real, like a proper counterpoint, you know, that one machine offered a a very different experience to the other and yeah, it's just a real treat to go back to and, and have kind of purpose to revisit a library that I didn't, didn't really know about or didn't give time to.
1: Yeah, the real strength of the game that sets it apart from anything else, the battle system is the thing that really sets it apart because so many RPGs nowadays, uh, you might as well just be playing two different games in tandem yeah. if you're doing things like games with random encounters or games where there are enemies on the overworld you touch one, you start battling in a completely different setting. It's such an elegant way of bridging the gap between... This half of the game that is basically exploration and puzzle solving, and the combat side, it's it's really it's really well done. It's it's just really natural. It's really organic, and I wish that more RPGs would be more considerate of that of that fissure between the two.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think unless you are putting a game together that is very deliberate about making that shift and almost kind of writes that into how it's designed. Mm. So it, it kind of acknowledges that you are almost in two places at once. I, I think we do need a return to that idea of just the kind of seamless transition because it, it does, it, it shifts it completely. Hmm. I've never really considered it quite in that way, that it's like playing two games at once, like you mentioned, but you're absolutely right. You know, the the amount of titles that say, you know, something like Pokemon that you're you're running about a map, at least until recently in a, in a 2D flat map. And then when it comes to a battle, you're just whisked somewhere completely different behind the heads of your little guys. Yeah. It's a totally different experience and, and whether or not certain games pull it off better than others, it just doesn't have that, that sort of smooth connection between the two.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would think of it as a precursor to things like Xenoblade. Mm. Xenoblade nails combat really well. Yeah. Or at least that, yeah. that connection between combat and exploration.
0: Now, for my final pick for you, Minty. Yes. I suggested that you give the proto-roguelike Toy Jam & Earl ago, it is the prequel to my 97th favourite game, so I, I don't enjoy it as much as the second game but I think it's weird enough that it warranted a play in and of itself. How did you find the weird
1: funk and sass of, of Sega's <laughs> early attempt at some mascots? <laughs> Again, the atmosphere is the thing that I enjoyed the most. I've got a real soft spot for games that are just extremely weird and run with it. Yeah, yeah. As I was enjoying it, it gave me really similar vibes to one game that I'm gonna, that I've yet to talk about actually. Ooh. So I'm not going to mention it here. But yes, I I do hold strangeness in quite high regard. And this is a weird game, isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is. I I find it fascinating that this was a triple A release essentially for the time. Yeah, this would have been yeah. fifty quid on the shelves next to Sonic and everything else that's far more accessible than this.
1: Yeah, I I will admit there are points where I was like. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I mean anything else, but compared to compared to the, the other two, Streets of Rage and Rocket Knight Adventures, it's got a refreshing simplicity to it. Yeah. Collecting presents, collecting spaceships, avoiding moles, and people with screaming kids in shopping trolleys, which <laughs> like there's no better enemy um in a video game than a kid in a supermarket. No. A supermarket is built to calibrate the screams of a young child to unbearable levels. So I really resonated (laughs) with um, them finally taking up the mantle of Antagonist. But yeah, it was just lovely little weird set pieces set to a really cool soundtrack. I think my eyes have been opened to just how good the music and the sound is on on the Mega Drive.
0: Oh, I'm so happy. Like, if nothing else, I think that's the thing to really sell you on. Because it is... That's you know another serious difference between the two machines. Mm. I
1: I don't know what the distinction is. It's more playful. It's more real. Mm. Like, you do have games that do have good music, but it's it, it feels like it's it's made for the game. Like oh, this is this is a piece of video game music on these on these Mega Drive games. They do feel like fully fledged pieces of music, which would be very appropriate to buy on a CD in HMB <laughs> and that sort of thing. It just yeah. Very high quality, and I'm very pleased to have enjoyed them.
0: Lastly, you requested that I give Link to the Past a go?
1: hmm It was a coin toss between that and Super Mario World. Yeah. And I know that you played Super Mario World earlier this year. Yeah. So I thought, yeah. you can have the other one.
0: In your words, it was compulsory reading.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: I mean, I feel reasonably confident that this game is going to rank quite highly on your top 100, bearing that it hasn't come up yet. <laughs> We all know that I'm not the Zelda guy. I loved Breath of the Wild as an adult, irrespective of the rest of the series. I obviously had a great time with Link's Awakening when I played it alongside the watchful gaze of, of Jonathan Dunn, aged 11 or 12. But A Link to the Past, though, to really take a bite out of it now, when when brand new consoles are launching, when games have come such a long way, the opening to this game is still absolutely mesmerising. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was shocked. At, again, you talk about the atmosphere of the Mega Drive games. This is... This is like filmic atmosphere Mm. that is not in those Mega Drive games. They have a sensation of being punchy and fun and funky or or whatever, but this feels like an actual quest and there is actual peril. You know, it's a fantastic opening. Like the soft sample-based music that I was kind of whinging a bit about in Street Racer compared to the Mega Drive. When you have that here, coupled with the telepathic beckon of Zelda asking for help and then the playful movement animation the thunderstorm of the game's intro. Like, wow we. Mm. <laughs> like, honestly, it creates a sense of Hyrule and a sense of kind of the awful things that happen in this kingdom incredibly well. Making your way into Hyrule Castle, finding your incapacitated uncle who hands over his sword and shield and then just leaves you to start exploring the map of kind of, you know, the dungeon that is the castle. Again, it's, it's just the sort of experience I did not have on the Mega Drive. So... You know, I, I grew up playing quick action games and side-scrolling beat beat em ups and score chasers and games with with big bosses and, and set pieces and whatever. But this is something else entirely. And again, I, I put this on via Switch Online on the Switch one evening. It feels absolutely timeless. Mm. Like it, if Nintendo came out tomorrow and just released a game of this style, everyone would go, "Yeah, fine,
1: yeah, yeah."
0: <laughs> like you wouldn't you wouldn't think anything of it. You wouldn't say, "Oh, yeah." You know, bit of a retro throwback it would just be well that's the stylistic choice they made this time here we go it really does drag you in at the beginning i played through to zelda's initial rescue and then when you escape to kind of the sanctuary just after that but i would really like to play more like i'm taking on a lot of these games that have a bit of length to them which is not always great for me but you know chrono trigger and a link to the past especially are two games that, like you say, they, they are worth playing in 2020 as they were whatever year they released. Mm. And I've really appreciated just giving them a proper go, at least for the first few hours, and getting an actual taste for something that I
1: hadn't, I hadn't really seen before. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. As, as you mentioned before, uh, modern consoles have homogenized Yeah, yeah. to the point where you know, it's, the technical specs are negligible and they're all chasing one thing. They're chasing graphics. They're chasing performance. Um, there's not really anything that makes, uh, makes a modern console particularly distinctive outside of um, uh, like the hardware gimmicks of the Nintendo Switch. These are just... They're such incredibly different games, but there's also something about them that is quintessentially the console that they are on,
2: Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, like,
1: absolutely. Every single one of these games, these are Sega games. And these ones that I've picked, they just they just are Nintendo games. <laughs> There's an immutable characteristic that I can't quite put my finger on, but it's been a really lovely exercise to uh, experience something that is so familiar, but also just so different at the same time. It's been quite a poultice um, after... My negative experience in my childhood.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe in the future, if, if uh, Jonathan decides to pump out a second Sprog, we can mm. do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll give each other a reading list in about a year's time if he's uh, going to get busy on it quickly. <laughs> 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 so there we go. Six games that we'd never given any time to on two consoles that we've never owned. I mean, the Chris and Minty Adventure Month rolls on, and mm. I have to say, I'm I'm having a really good time. I am as well, yeah. It's been great. If you have enjoyed this episode, or indeed any episode, please do subscribe, tell your mates, look us up on social media if you fancy getting more involved. As always, we have permanent residence at facebookcom r 3 cents We can be found on YouTube by searching for r3cents podcast, and Instagram by typing in o3c podcast. And for those with pennies to spare patreon.com slash r3cents is the place to go to browse our wares we really do love you all if you'd like to say hello to us on a more personal one-to-one level my twitter handle is at chas underscore hodges and mine is at clement underscore bull and we very much look forward to putting together another podcast for you yes you you right there at the back so we'll see you then
1: take care everybody and remember that we do indeed love you all very much Our sponsor
2: and now a word
0: from our sponsor and
2: now a word from our sponsor
0: the award-winning Go Nintendo podcast covers the latest Nintendo news while also diving into what's hot in pop culture, music, trivia, hands-on impressions, and so much more. Hopefully we can make you laugh too. You'll find new episodes of the Go Nintendo Podcast on the Greenlit Podcast Network every single week. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of magic the other. I'm your host, Shivan Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along
1: and play!